Welcome to another episode of the Business of Fun podcast. I'm Dave Wakeman, your host, and today's episode I think is a good one. I talk with Corey Gibbs. He's the Executive Managing Director of Ticket Solutions. He is my first secondary market guest, and Corey and I go back probably about 15 or 20 years. We get into a lot. Uh, This is probably the longest episode that I've done, so I'm sorry for that. But we talk about the state of the secondary market. We talk about the challenges of facing both the primary and the secondary market. We talk about pricing. We talk about distribution. We talk about consolidation deals. We talk about a whole lot of stuff. I think that if you don't know anything all about the secondary market in the States, you'll learn something. If you are in the secondary market in the States, I think you'll also learn something. I think that probably you're going to hear me hit a number of tunes that I normally hit, such as customer emphasis. Yet, I was a little surprised that Corey had a similar take, but slightly different on the customer as well. It was really, really um, a really great conversation with Corey. Uh, So I hope you dig it. Hey, Corey, welcome to the show. Welcome. Glad glad to be here. Look forward to... uh having a good chat yeah so you are going to be the first person that i've invited on from the secondary market so you probably will be the brunt of a lot of the questions that um probably a lot of my audience is going to want to know about so i apologize in advance um uh. <laughs> well you know and everybody should know we both went to alabama so there's no there's going to be no hate here so um but let me start out by asking you about the state of the secondary market now i know that um a lot of my clients and listeners, that they cover the entire globe. And the secondary market is much different in the United States than it is the rest of the world. You know, and knowing you've been involved in the secondary market for going on over 20 years, I wanted to give everybody like a little bit of a taste of what the market looks like here from somebody who's like a very established and very reputable member of the secondary market. Yeah, um, the secondary market is... is is interesting as we all know and it's um you know it's it has been uh changing significantly over over the years and continues to change um it's i i tell people uh, all the time that you know the secondary market and the secondary uh, ticket industry is nothing more than a commodities market that is more volatile than any other commodity in the world. It's a perishable good that has an expiration date that also uh, whose value and, and, and interest and call is directly affected by more dynamic factors than, than any other commodity or good that you can think of. It's got an expiration date. It has It's based on wins and losses. It's based on game times and performance times, multiple performances. It's based on uh, you know, it, it responds to weather, it responds to injuries, it responds to uh, in, information that hits mass media, good and bad. So a lot of factors affect the secondary market and its suppliers and consumers, for that matter, that are, in essence, out of control of both, which is a very, a very interesting uh, aspect to any type of a, a free open market. Now, let's let's start by saying, you know, there's there's proponents of the secondary market and there's people that 
hate it and think it's horrible. And that's fine. Either one. There's also people that, that don't like other industries and, and, and commodities based and non-commodity based still. However, our industry has changed and has, I guess, legitimacy of our industry, you know, if we roll back 10, 11 years, uh, you know, anyone that has not lived under a rock for their, their last decade or so knows who StubHub is. And in 2007, when, when, when they were bought by eBay um, for 300 plus million, you know, and you have an eBay that's a Fortune 500 company, New York Stock Exchange, it's quote, in the ticket business now, it legitimized the industry to a very significant extent. So, you know, currently from, from that point on, you know, as things changed and the, the, the Ticketmaster Live Nation merger and, and uh, the primaries getting into the secondary market and, and those lines becoming blurred, um, while it legitimized it, it also confused the hell out of a lot of people that are, that are on the market. Um, that's a, that's, that can be a problem at the point at some point, because people sometimes as a consumer are unsure who they're buying from, whether it's primary or secondary or a combination of the two, or maybe it's a secondary that's owned by a primary, um, that, that, like I said, blurs the lines, you know, currently the industry is, you know, pretty strong. Uh, There's issues in the industry as always. Um, And as you know, I mean, there's always going to be, there's always going to be people that that view the secondary industry as that shady ticket guy standing at uh, 48th and and 8th, you know, with one, one under one arm of his trench coat is, is fake and on the other arm is tickets and you don't know if they're real or not. There's always going to be the people that, that paint that picture of the secondary market. What what can't be um, misunderstood is the fact that the secondary itself is $11, $11 billion a year industry that is um, providing a service and it's the secondary market. People love the secondary market because there is transparency and because there is ability to not plan so far in advance and, and battle the, the I have to get them now when they may not even be available. But it's um, the, the secondary market is is in a in a good place. Most mostly, I would say, in a, in a in an overall view, um, there's issues that that I think are being combated. You know, there's le- legislative issues that uh, one just uh, repassed in New York that that was a a big win for the secondary market and for consumers that want to buy on the secondary market. Uh, and I'm sure that you're familiar with that. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of moving parts, some which are, are good, some which are bad, depending on who you ask, even within the market is how I would say. Yeah, no, that, I mean, and you gave me a lot. Definitely. When you talked about people loving the secondary market, that was a guarantee that my email inbox is going to be flooded. With, yeah. people, with people on both sides of the uh, market going, of course people love it. And then there's going to be the other people who are going, oh, we know we completely hate it. So so, so thank you uh, for that. You're welcome. <laughs> um, but you opened up a, a couple of different really interesting doors, right? Um, and the first one was that came out of that uh, people loving it, uh, the secondary market thing, which is about service. And I know that you and I have a, have a very common background um, in the fact that we believe 
that the secondary market should be providing a service. I think that the, and this is just my opinion, is that tickets have become more of a commodity over the last what, 10, 11 years because of StubHub with, to the detriment of all of the primary side providers. And one of the things that, you know, and I think we both are aware of these conversations that go on, one of the challenges is that the secondary market where it does get a bad rap is because it is a commodity and because it is confusing for people, yet you and I have have a lot of respect throughout the industry on both sides because of the level of service. Now, I, I guess, you know, I'm long-winded on this question. My belief is that this commoditization is going to run its course over the next couple of years, two, three years, right? And, and there's going to be some sort of fracturing in the market because you can't have tickets bottoming out and being sold for a dollar or two all the time, yet a lot of the primary side is struggling to sell their tickets. You know, what role, if any, do you think guys like us who, who came, kind of came up, grew up in the more service-oriented secondary market are going to play? Or is there a role for that anymore where everything's a click and, you know, a click or two away? Um, I, yes, I do believe that there is a role. If I did not believe there was a role, I would be probably working on um, building a new resume and looking for a new career. Um, because without that being a role, my approach to this industry uh, that I've been doing for 20 plus years from 1995 uh, when I started it from the dorm room table and providing a service to friends whose moms and dad were coming in and had no idea and way to get tickets and going and finding them for them, um, which is the epitome of uh, old school service before the internet. Um, the, one thing that you mentioned is, you know, a point and a click away. I, the service orientation of our industry, secondary and primary for that matter, not just secondary-wise, primary too, used to be, um, you know, prior to 10 years ago, was was what people had to lean on. I mean, before before you could log on to primarywebsite.com, fill in the blank, whichever one you want to call, you know, before you could log in and pick your seat online, you were, you were speed dialing at 9.59 Central, when something went on sale on a Saturday, because there were there were, there were there's no such thing as pre-sales and fan this and that. There was a Saturday at 10 a.m. when it hit the market, and everybody and their brother called, and it was whoever got in. But those those individuals that were dealing with those clients were very sort service oriented because they had to be because it, it was not visual at that point. They had to explain what you know a side stage this was i mean everyone knows okay you're on the 10 yard line if you're a football fan you know what that means but depending on where you know a, a stage was set up i mean there was a lot of service orientation back then like you said now everything is is such a microwave world of i want it now i can get it now i can see it now i click this it turns red i hit checkout and i go pay x service fees whether it's primary secondary aggregator, consolidator, fill in whatever uh, term you want to use. Um, and and the, the service orientation, while it is very important, has definitely, um, if to the masses, has diminished. And that is where I think, while it is no longer what it used to be, 
it will be the uh, industry factor that will keep certain organizations alive through this. And as, as you said, you said, you know, maybe two to three years of standardization goes away. Well, you're already starting to see it. You're seeing, you're seeing deals done, um, you know, from, from the primary, from the teams, from the promoters, from the artists with secondary market providers for 30 and 40% volume of stadiums capacity. If you've got a 50,000 seat venue and there's an official quote-unquote official deal for 20,000 seats a game, and the most that's ever been sold on the secondary market is maybe twelve or 13,000, which 20% of a venue being resold on a secondary market is a ton. It's usually more between 10 to 12 to 13%. So, But now you're putting 40% of a venue in the hands. It's, it's basically becoming nothing more than an extension of the primary, for the primary to offset their offset their risk, I get that, and and I'm, I'm I I am a hundred percent fine with their approach. However, what does that do? Is it, it has to it becomes not a people person industry, and it becomes a let's buy every head of lettuce we can, throw it in the grocery store. We know most a lot of them are going to turn brown and go bad, and we're going to have to throw them away. But the only way to uh, battle that is on price. And as you said, you're seeing tickets drop to a dollar and two dollars and whatever. There's no value in that. For if, if someone's going to buy something for a dollar or two dollars, I'm sorry, they're they're not buying customer service because the provider can't afford to pay for a a, a customer relationship management program and a and be client centric and and take care of people. Which, in my mind, I'm, I'm not, you know, you know me, I'm, I'm not the, the masses. While, I, while there are certain niche markets that I do quite a bit of volume for, it, I still prefer to manage the client's needs and expectations and relationship so that when that commoditization ends and prices go back up and, and, and the industry changes again, and there are more options out there. Those individuals are going to, you know, be loyal to me just like I have to them. And 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 it's a it's a relationship. And and, and that's that's the key to it. People in the secondary market with relationships and have true real clients that they know their name, they know their dog's name, they have their cell number, they they send them holiday cards, they know when they're when their child graduates high school and, and, and send them a, a, a congratulatory email or, or know when their child gets accepted to X, Y, or Z university or when their wedding anniversary is, you know, any of those things, that those, those factors will continue to thrive until our industry or any industry for that matter doesn't like being taken care of. And I don't see that coming. People like to do business with People enjoy doing business with people they know and like, and that's an old adage, and it's a thousand percent true. And I believe our industry will circle back to that. But those that got away from it and played the "let's see how much I can throw on the wall and and whatever sticks I make money on and whatever doesn't, oh well, it's you know it's it's spoilage." Then I, I wish them good luck in their next career. <laughs> yeah, it's um you know it's amazing to me having not really been involved in 
the day-to-day secondary side in, a, in, a, in quite a while, right? Uh, you, you know, and just how misguided so many of the people are because they, uh, you see the conversations going on and it's like everybody owes them something. And I was like, for me, I go, no, you have to create value or you're a commodity. And the thing about a commodity is you're going to go be in a race to the bottom and eventually the race to the bottom ends in zero and a lot of people get wiped out. You know, so like this running away from the service is just baffling to me because, you know, just like you said, it's a relationship business as every business is. And I think that the wise organizations, you know, it doesn't matter primary or secondary or any business, any service oriented business are investing in customer service. You know, I, I have um, a client based out of the UK called Booking Protect. And, you know, that, that was one of the key things that, that they used to turn around their business and, and started down a, like a path of aggressive growth was how can we serve our customers better? Because people want to be connected to people. And you see that everywhere. And it's, it's really just amazing to me that it isn't a priority for a lot of people, which leads me into my next question, which is something we kind of were, were tossing back and forth before we got on, the, on this call, was the reduction in attendance across the board and sort of the feeling that I get a better experience at home than I do going to an event, which to me is just, it's awful because, I mean, I'm sure you and I both got, you know, started out doing this stuff a lot of times because, like, my guy going to Brian Denny Stadium on a football Saturday was, like, unbelievable. It would raise the hairs on your arms. And I can't just imagine that people being like, eh, I can take it or leave it, going to see, like, a live event and being surrounded by tons of people. You know, and, and, and so where, you know, where do you see, you know, the role of service in helping bringing people back into the uh, into the buildings? Or is this, like, a trend that's, like, there's no turning back from. Well, the, the, you're you're absolutely correct in the fact that attendance and and interest um, in certain instances uh, is definitely diminished. And there's, I, I, w- I can point to quite a few different factors that are that are leading to that. Um, you know, first of all, you're right. It is. Uh, it's a, it's one of those deals where individuals, when they look at okay, first of all, cost is is a significant aspect from from anything. So you look at the cost, and for a family of four to go to a college football game, no matter where it is, unless they live in the town and they you know can leave their house and drive over to the stadium and park at a friend's house because they know someone that lives close or owns a business that's not charging $100 a spot for parking you know they can do that they can maybe they're maybe they're season ticket holders maybe they're not maybe they just buy for the game or so they want to go to doesn't matter uh, but on a specific single game aspect if they live in town they can eat breakfast at their house they get ready they go down maybe they go hang out at a tailgate with some friends they go to the game, ticket cost, X, Y, Z, doesn't matter. That's negligible. They get back in their car. They drive home, put the kids to bed, blah, 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 check up sports center at the end, and they're done. For those individuals, it's not as expensive. When you do not live in that location and have those uh, that ease of access and ease of, of location, 
you're talking about, okay, maybe flying in, driving in from two and a half hours away. So then you have to deal with, you know, hotel rooms, which most of the time for major events, especially, and even for college or any or big concert events, hotels, if it's not New York or LA or Chicago, uh, and even those are affected sometimes, those locations, uh, you know, they, they up their price and you get surge pricing on hotel rooms and, and restaurants, you know, do a limited menu and go up 30% on, on their costs for game day menus. And then, you know, for God's sakes, go into the stadium for a $7 Coke and a $9 hot dog. By the time you get done, you could have you could have spent four days at the beach or in Cabo uh, and flew southwest. I mean, it, it literally is is has gotten to that extent. So price has played a part um, as far as diminishing interest. Now, attendance, as far as getting attendance, not sheer volume of attendance, but um, organizations, teams filling venues. And I'll, I'm going to relate this to college football because that's you know where I and NFL as well, not to the extent of college, but uh, stadiums have gotten too big, and and that is that is a, a significant factor. Stadiums are too large. You're talking about you know in 1998, uh, Bryant Denny was 83,818. Before that, it was 70,200. Before they added the first. West side upper deck. Then it goes to 83, 818. And then they add the north end zone upper deck, which takes it to 92, 92.3. Then they add another south end zone, and that takes it to 101, You've got, You're talking about 101,000 people going to watch a football game that's going to cost them a significant amount of money, even if it's against Louisiana Lafayette or Arkansas State or the Citadel. Now, you throw in against a, a bigger, better opponent, and then it, it all even escalates from there. So size of venue has, has definitely you know, affected it. Um, it. With my crimson colored glasses on, I will tell you that um, fatigue, winning fatigue on a fan base is real. Uh, I've seen it for the last 10 years. Um, you know, 2008, when Alabama starts 12-0, and 0, I mean, people would pay exponentially X to go watch Alabama versus Arkansas, which was a what I would consider a B minus SEC game. It's not LSU, it's not Auburn, it's not Tennessee. It is a B a B grade SEC game that you would lump in there with, you know, Ole Misses and Mississippi States and Arkansas and and maybe Texas A and M now in Missouri. People would happily fork over 150 bucks to go sit in the upper deck for that game. Today, you're lucky on the secondary market if you're getting if you're getting half that, and it's because those people have said, "Ah, eh, been there, done that." Five national championships in nine years. Um, played for another one. Was two plays away from from uh, one play away from winning another one. Maybe two plays away from from winning another one. So. I hear clients talk about all the time, and these are good friends of mine that'll say, yeah, we're not going to go to this game and this game and this game because we need to save for postseason since postseason has gotten so expensive. Now, that's that's the epitome of being spoiled. I'll be the first person to admit that. <laughs> but it also, it, at that point, it spreads out your interest and, your, and the consumer base instead of going to all the games. Now, 
my I can tell you this on a secondary market as a whole, and I have specific data on this my own self. Ten years ago, you would sell fifteen to twenty times more season ticket packages as you do now. No one hardly buys season ticket packages on the secondary market anymore because they know they're not going to go to seven or eight games. They're just not going to. They're going to go to one or two or three max, and they're going to pick and choose. And you know, if they have small children that want to take friends, they'll go to a non-conference game because it's less expensive. And if you're up forty-five to nothing in the second quarter, it's easier to leave than if it's seventeen seventeen at the half, and you know, it's for the SEC West or the Big Ten championship, or who's going to go to Dallas in the Big Twelve, whatever it may be. Those, you know, so they'll split those up. Um, but I think that the relationship aspect will, you know, I mean, I don't know that it plays as much into that as it does, um, you know, it, the key on the relationships part of that is when those individuals decide what they're going to. And this is from the secondary market. When, when, they, when they make a decision of what they're going to, those relationships will play a gigantic component of who gets that who who gets that business and who those transactions are processed through. Now, for a venue or a team or a promoter, how do you increase that? Well, you create a better experience, an in-game, an in-concert, an in-event experience. And I tip my hat to. I mean, if you want to look at experience and and taking care of. Uh, a client and, and, and patrons and consumers look no further than Augusta national. They've done it the right way forever. You know, it's X once you get in the door, unless you're going to go into the pro shop and buy overpriced uh, merchandise, which is still not any more than you'd buy online from your favorite retailer. But when you get there and you buy a $2 per minute cheese sandwich and a dollar Coke and a dollar 50 beer and, you know, a 50 cent bag of chips, you know, that, that mentality, you know, creates a positive experience, and the, we see the same thing. And it's been written about, and 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 they're the poster child for over the last year and a half is Arthur Blank at the new stadium in Atlanta. You know, three dollar fountain drinks, unlimited refills, three dollar hot dogs, four dollar uh, four dollar hamburgers, uh, five dollar beers versus you know thirteen dollar beers. So they took the route of, of putting the client experience first. And what's funny is everyone initially was like, oh, they're just basically losing money on their concessions. And, you know, it's like people it'll sometimes don't realize. It'll never work, Corey. It'll, it'll never it'll, work. It'll never work. However, if you go look at Sports Business Journal and, all, and the, and the article they did. Grew, what, 15% or something? Their revenues grew 15 to 17%, and they outsold and outperformed every concessionaire in the entire NFL last year. And guess what? Now the other teams are like, oh, well, maybe we should try that option. Yeah. Which, obviously, um, they just haven't been paying attention because, I mean. Correct. I mean, I don't know. I don't want to toot my own horn, but sure, it's my podcast. I will. How long and how long have you known me? You've known me like for like fifteen years. How yeah. long have I been saying that? <laughs> that know, probably for exactly. fifteen years. Yeah. Well, it's and it's and if someone you know and, and and the Falcons made that decision and said, okay, we're going to charge PSLs. We're going to to pay for this new stadium by PSLs. But once you commit to that, we're going to take care of you once you get in, and that that is commendable. And I think that you will 
you will see that trickle down to um, to other other venues and, and teams and genres. I do believe that um, because look, let's 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 anyone that's concerned or wondering about making money on concessions, just Google how much it costs for one fountain drink. The most expensive thing in the whole entire drink is the cup. I mean, cup, lid, straw, and everything is about two cents max. That's right. It, you know, it, it's like the difference in a in a cup of coffee that you make at home versus it's about a penny or two to to make your own cup of coffee, and it's four dollars and seventy eight cents at your favorite coffee house. Yeah, and, and that's a great point because often this is one of my favorite terms when people give it to me is they go, "You just don't understand." You know, it doesn't matter what it is, right? Because I know that I've been very vocal about my dislike for fanatics. And it only gets worse because they charge you that $38 T-shirt, and it's like the flimsiest, like, lowest quality T-shirt around. Yeah, it, it comes apart the second time you wash it, if yeah. you're lucky. And, and the same thing with the food and beverage, right? It's like um, a lot of these venues, uh, and I'm not going to point na- fingers at any of them, but, you know, they've sold out, sold their soul to Budweiser. And then they say, oh, well, we have a craft beer section that's filled up with all of Budweiser's craft beer products, and then they're selling them for 16 bucks, And you go... You have to understand that your consumer is better educated than they have ever been before. And yep. so when you say something like this, you are telling them that you think that they're morons and that you can lie to them and treat them like crap and that they're going to just take it because what you're offering them is so exotic and so uh, unique that nobody cares when mm-hmm. what you have allowed to happen over the course of the last 12 to 15 years as you have allowed your product to become a commodity driven by factors that you can't always control. Like, hey, LeBron's coming to town. Oh, my God, it's a hot ticket. But, you know, when the Miami Heat come to town, oh, eh, it's fine. You know, I don't care. I mean, I love the Miami Heat, but not everybody does. As opposed to it's like I have this team, this venue, this experience that I want you to – that you should take part in. And it's just a miss. Well, and and yes, and I will say that the uh, whereas you said consumers are, are smarter than they've ever been, and that is very true, uh, especially when in comparison and transparency in the secondary market. Because you look at it now, there's no more gouging people on prices. You can pull up five different websites and get a really good feel of what you can quote buy a 10 yard line seat for X, Y, Z game is you can, you can get a pretty good idea. Now, granted the, the, the shell game of trans fees and processing fees that, you know, may not be as evident at the, at the front when you see the price. And by the time you check out, you thought it was a hundred bucks and you ended up paying a buck 38, but now you're emotionally invested and you've clicked on three different social media sites telling your friends you're going to the game and you feel too bad about, now backing out of it, even though you haven't hit buy, don't even get me started on that. But, um, but the thing is, competing on price to go back, circle back to your to your service mentality. People will spend more money if they are taken care of and they are serviced yeah. all day long, hands down. There's there's absolutely no doubt about it. But when you look at like you talked about about the the, the craft beer and the this and the that. It, there's a difference in in off, you know, great options. No matter if it's if it's concessions or, or or attire or whatever it is, but when you go into 
uh, to an, a, a venue such, and I, I tell people this all the time because it's the, it's the story that, um, is used a lot with in customer service. Nordstrom is a perfect example. You know, they, they take care of you. They will take anything back. If something messes up, it's, they understand it happens very well put together. Is it the, is it the highest quality? Maybe not, but it's pretty, it's, it's, it's a very good quality of, of clothing line and, 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 uh, and product. But the thing about it is you walk into a Nordstrom and you buy something. I don't care if you're buying one uh, belt loop or you're buying a pair of socks or you're buying a $5,000 dress or suit. Every time they, every time they check you out, they put it in the bag, they walk around the counter, they shake your hand and thank you for your business. And that resonates with people that appreciate service. And I'm, I'm telling you, the, the quicker that, that teams, venues, and artists understand and get back more customers, and I'm not saying that every customer is, is the same, because there's not. There's good customers, and then there's the other customers. And when they take care of those people and, and, and build that loyalty base that will always keep coming back, you can weather tons of storms in any industry if you have a true client base and you and i have talked about that for years and we could talk about it for two hours i'm sure or more but it's it's exactly um, right i mean it's i mean i beat the the pearl jam horse to death but i mean look at what they do they mm -hmm. take care of their customers right they they take care of their fans and i i know for sure that they start out the year right like before they if they don't play a show that they they brought in you know 20 million dollars in revenue through their fan club so it's not just like profitable on the front end it's profitable the entire route but nobody feels gouged by pearl jam everybody feel you know i mean there are people that complain about the ticket prices but they haven't you know the high-end ticket on this this tour that they're doing now is like 90 dollars you know for exactly like that they they could get whatever they want absolutely yeah and and, service that's the freaking point absolutely (laughs) and 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 if you look at it you know it's probably not the most perfect term to use but those those bands those artists those teams those venues everyone that creates that what i would loosely call a cult-like following those are the people that will that will that, that will always have people standing in line waiting to pay money for them no matter what it is That's because exactly. they create an experience you're selling you're not selling tickets you're not selling a hot dog you're not selling a shirt you're selling a consumer experience and if your consumer experience is better than the next guy's consumer experience you're going to win that's um so to jump on this right i took my i took Catherine to see you too the, about a week ago right and, and, mm-hmm. and i've taken her to see pearl jam once before and you know and youtube puts on a great show right they're they're they're, they're true pros right but she's like there's just like a difference between Pearl Jam and U2, and the fact that Pearl Jam still cares, and U2 just was like, you know, she was like, going, they, they, they were just, uh, you know, they just took their foot off the gas a little bit, and I think you see that, because like, on the U2 tour now, you know, there was tons and tons of, there was empty seats, number one, but then there was also like, large sections blocked mm-hmm. off, and they were relocating fans, and, and I think yep. that, whereas like, the last Pearl Jam concert I was at, there was a line of people who were lined up outside the garden, um, for the whole day, hoping that they were going to be, be maybe release, you know, t- a dozen tickets maybe mm-hmm. for the show that night. It, it, it's just a, it's a whole different experience. And it's, 
you have to understand. I think it's a partly starts with empathy, like understanding, like for sure how what it feels like for the fan, for the customer. And then well, and then, and then the fan and the fan sees the pictures from inside the venue, and they're like, well, "Why are those empty?" I, I sat out here for for five hours hoping to get someone to release a single to the box office, and what does that do? That further cements their belief and value in the secondary market when they could log on to, you know, ticket site X, Y, or Z, or go up to a, a licensed person that has a, a brick and mortar office around the corner from the venue, and and get that that entry instrument and get a smile and a thank you and you know a holiday card to boot at the end of the year. Yeah. And, and, and I think maybe like, uh, you know, cause I, I, I'm very conscious of you and your dissertation that you're working on, but that opens up one more question um, that I want to ask you know, at least probably, and then I'm going to probably ask it three or four or more, you know how this goes. Um, but you, all of this kind of has played out around in the back of my mind, the verified fan program, which again, I, I get the, the bad reputation for being like, oh my, like such a uh, cheerleader for the secondary market. And, and I usually say I'm not a cheerleader for anybody except for like people doing things the right way. And mm-hmm. earlier we were talking about the number of seats being on the secondary market and verified fan and Ticketmaster have been parading around the idea like, oh, well, we've kept it at like 10%, whereas before it was more. And I was like, well, that's not right. You're number one, you're lying again, you're lying to people because. In most cases, these concerts and theater, you know, again, twelve percent's a lot. You know, most of the time it's less than ten percent. I would say mm-hmm. in most cases. Uh, but then the second thing is because it's so, you know, the, the process that make, they make people jump through. From my experience and what I see, it's had a distancing effect between the artists and the fans, and they can parade the revenue number out as much as they want. But I know for you too, it was like I went through the verified fan process, and I was like, this sucks. And then I know with like, and that wasn't even the worst one because we know the Taylor Swift one where she like made her fans jump through hoops, um, buy merchandise, buy downloads, share stuff on social media under the promise of you're going to get the best seats in the house, right? Not the best prices, which is cool. I get that. But the best seats only to dump the best seats in the house at like cut rate prices in a lot of cases for a lot of these shows. It's just to me, it's it, it feeds that confusion that people feel, but it also does. It also tears down the fabric of the industry, right? Which is there's got to be a certain amount of trust between the consumer and the industry for it to work. And well, lie, lying and deception will tear down every relationship ever built. I don't care if it's you know you fill in the blank of whatever whatever uh, approach you want to take as far or whatever industry or whatever. Uh, team or whatever, but you're exactly right. And until, until that full transparency of, okay, you know, we're going to sell 10% on this. They're not going to be the cheapest. You're going to get this, but then you can't do that. And then come back 48 hours, 72 hours prior to the event, or maybe even three weeks later when you realize you're playing in an 85,000 seat venue, you go completely circles back to the whole thing of, venues are too big. There should never be a concert held in a stadium. I'm sorry. There's no, there's no, there's zero value or experience in sitting in section 401 row 25 at AT&T Jerry world and watching a concert who's being played on the football field. 
Sorry, not not. You're never going to to talk me into that being any value whatsoever. None. Um, you know, people can say the same thing about football or whatever else. And as like I told you, there's there's that's why you see a decrease in attendance. But at least don't come out and say, well, we only sold thirty eight thousand of these eighty five thousand or seventy five thousand seats. So now we're going to quote leak them out on the on the whatever market or you know maybe or maybe it's uh even worse than that oh yeah well we offered these to the to the verified people but now we're offering silver platinum or platinum packages or gold packages and you get a little bit better seat and you get a a a, a photoshopped xeroxed eight by ten for a thousand dollars so don't even get me started on the platinum packages and stuff that promoters that that come out and are vocal against the the old the old adage of and you knew this was coming but the old adage of scalping it's like oh all these all these promoters and teams and venues they're you know they'll they'll go to bat and and sit there and bang their hand on the table saying all oh, these these scalpers and the scalping market is whatever but it's okay for them to to you know put a package a ticket with a a Xeroxed eight by ten with a fake signature that was stamped with a stamp and a and a welcome to the show and, and charged seven times. That seems that seems pretty normal. Yeah, and again, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm not going to apologize for the secondary market adding a service charge, but again, no, I all, but I do also. No, have but great if, empathy. if you're go, if you're going to add a service charge. Give Offer the people, a service. Give the people the service that they're paying for. <laughs> yes. Offer I will them a pay service. For, I will pay for anything you want me to pay for at a, at a, at a rate that I feel like I get a, a return on. There's a difference that people that stay at America's Best Value Inn and stay at the Ritz. That's right. Because the service is completely different animal. But if you got the same service and one was $85 a night and one was five eighty-five a night, you go to New York City and you stay at the Peninsula or the Pierre – you expect to get a better service than staying at the Holiday Inn Express down off of, you know, it's off of 23rd. Yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you go or, you know, if you go the difference in staying, you know, at the, at the Pennsylvania Hotel versus staying at, at the Plaza. I mean, it, 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 it's a completely different level of service. And you know what? I'm not saying that there's not a place for those venues because there are. There are people that need that. Yes. And there's people that need service. There's people that it's just like the economy. We all need people that work at fast food restaurant drive throughs and some of those people might be some of the best people and nicest people and best family people in the history of time. And but you know, it's a it's a full cycle, and you need that. But if you're going to charge a five hundred dollar prefix at per se, you're going to get a lot more than you are going to McDonald's down across from Madison Square Garden. That's right, and 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 I think that's it's not so much you know because then I would have again my email box in the inbox after this episode is going to be just jam packed with hate mail, so that's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but Sweet. Uh, yeah, oh, it's great. I don't care. Um, but the thing I would always say is that I'm anti people gouging people. Period. Right. I, in you know, anything. Exactly right. I mean, there's you know I learned from um, you know the guy called Alan Weiss always think of the fourth sale first and you know so i'm like i don't need to take every penny you have every time because i want you to be able to come back more right or it goes back to the food and beverage stuff it's the nightclub experience that i had coming up was like hey if i charge you i can make an extra quarter to a half million dollars a year in added profit just by being like hey when you order a gin and tonic 
what kind of gin do you like, right? And, and But your feeling is like, oh, my God, I'm really being taken care of. Mm-hmm. So instead of like one drink, you might have two or three. So what have I done? I've created this environment where people are glad to be there. Whereas opposed mm-hmm. to like some of the times I go to stadiums and concerts and venues now, I can just see the dollar sign on my head, right? And it's and, and they and they make you feel like you're doing them a service to be there. Yeah, they, they're doing you a favor by letting right. you in. Exactly. And I was like, when well, the last I looked, if you didn't have a customer, if you didn't have a fan, whatever it is, you don't have anything. That's just like the the iron yep. law of business. It doesn't matter what business we're talking about. Is like Absolutely. the number one job is to keep create and keep a customer. And I think largely. And we will definitely point at the secondary market here, but it's a failure everywhere. It's like nobody's doing that. You know, there, I mean, there's a few there's a few instances, right? You do this. I know this. This is why you're on here. You know, there's a couple other people I know who are really, really good at developing and keeping customers and relationships. But on the whole, 80% or more, it's a commodity transaction-based business, and that's going to always lead to failure. Yes, and and I think I will say one thing that a lot of times gets lost in the in the discussion about a customer and and taking care of customers, whatever. Especially on the secondary market, too many people get caught up in thinking that the customer is just the people that buys your tickets. I, I have just as many customers and relationships based on sellers because those are your customers too. That's exactly right. You know, and and that's what people. Because guess what? If you do not have widgets, you do not to sell. Then you have no customers to buy. Yeah. I mean, so, that, you know, that point I, is, I, is I, incredible. I, because I, and mean, I am, I am, I will stand on my head almost and and argue that the relationships with the product supplier is now the way our industry has changed is more valuable than the relationship with the purchaser of the product and the, and the end consumer because there are so many different um, channels of distribution, i.e. StubHub and, and Vivid Seats and SeatGeek and, and TicketCity.com and all, all these different different channels to distribute inventory and they all do such a great job on search engine optimization and being above the fold on Google and X, Y, and Z because look, let's face it, it's a, the, the microwave mentality is most people, if they're looking for tickets, on the whole, will go in, even if you've dealt with them for years, um, and just pull it up, uh, you know, Alabama, Alabama, Auburn football tickets. And they're usually never, most of the time they're not scrolling down the first page. They sure as heck aren't clicking to go to the second page of a search engine. I mean, that, that those numbers and those analytics numbers are just astounding how small that is to click to the next page. But those individuals that supply that... And you know, supply coming from from X sells to Y Z P D Q A B C and D. And if you take if you, if you do not take care of the supplier aspect, um, you're done in 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 the secondary industry. Yeah, hands down. Yeah, I was going to say like one of my best relationships or one of some of my best relationships were with the suppliers because then mm-hmm. anytime I needed something. I could get it. Right? Absolutely. And now, I mean, that was one of the reasons that I had the American Express black card account for years was because I took care of all the people I needed to take care of to get the tickets mm-hmm. so that anywhere right. in the world I can get the ticket. Right. 
Right. <laughs> I mean, it was you know, it was like as much a customer service thing for American Express as the fact that like I had all these people anywhere in the world who were just a phone call away. And uh, it, yeah, yeah, and it made me look like a magician. But I was like, it's really just great customer service. Well, to 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 to, to re- relate back to the Seinfeld episodes, you know, he's like, I got a guy. I mean, it, it, everyone that has a guy, it's like you know. I've had people joke and say, really, all in your life, you need a doctor, you need a ticket guy, and and uh, and a real estate broker, and you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I'd had a lawyer and an accountant in there. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> but that's it. And, but and you know, and I think there's like one more point that we should probably make though is that like this, you know, because you brought up distribution and the need for distribution and the way that it has like such an impact that it makes it so important for people to connect with their their point of purchase you know their vendor but it, mm-hmm. and one of the things i think that's going to accelerate this commoditization and and drive the end of the cycle that we're in because you, i mean you and i have been around long enough we've seen two or three different cycles so we know that whatever is you know there's something new coming and we know that like and we'll, and we'll probably see two or three more. That's exactly <laughs> right. We know there's going to be tons of squealing from people who are like, one, it's just not fair. Um, but, you know, like these people who tell me that distribution is just going to save everything, I, I always say bullshit, right? Because it's not. Because it, it's always got to go back to having a customer, right? And you could, I couldn't have said it better than you did when you got to go. You're not managing just one customer on one side. You're managing a whole host of shareholders, across, you know, for, with different inputs. And if you're not focused on your customers, right, no understanding that, like, I create a value in this ecosystem and how can I expand that value, then I'm worthless. And exactly. And and here's a here's a novel approach and a newsflash. That's why they call it an open market or any market. There's buy, sell on both sides and supply, demand, product, distribution. It's, it's, it's kind of economics 101. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. Now, Corey, how can people find you on the internet? Um, as far as personally or business-wise? Both. Both. <laughs> um, uh, you'll uh, you'll uh, answer uh, their emails. <laughs> exactly. Our, 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 uh, our company is, is Ticket Solutions, uh, and uh, TicketSolutions.com is a website. Um, I'm uh, on Twitter at I'm Your Ticket Guy. Um, so that's a uh, that's a funny little thing I started a while ago, and uh, get a lot of get a lot of, uh, of fun fun information there. Um, but we, you know, we at the end of the day, it's a matter of uh, like you said. I mean, people find us that that find us. We're we're never going to be our company is is unfortunately never going to be in the the top fold because we we uh, we do not. You know, we're not a masses company. We, we we have niche markets that we take care of people. We do, you know, major events, Super Bowl, Masters, World Series, uh, Derby, um, you know, the major, the big ones, the college football championships. And then we have, you know, we have our office in, in, in Kansas City that really is uh, really big with uh, Royals and Chiefs and, and do some Chicago. We have a St. Louis office that does a lot of Cardinals and uh, local, local concert markets and in uh, both venues, and then we have our office in Tuscaloosa that that uh, handles, you know, all of the the SEC and Southeastern Conference college football uh, and all the SEC venues and 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 heavily football wise. And obviously, our stadium, our uh, our office there in, in Tuscaloosa is about 700 yards from right in any stadium. So that's where that's where I started my uh, my journey into this into this craziness. And 
so yeah, so it's a, you know, we, we, we do everything, but we, we don't try to be everything for everybody. We try to be, uh, whatever we, you know, need, whatever people need us to do for them. That is a, a valued client customer and relationship. We, we take care. We do a lot of, you know, I do a lot of, you know, this, I do a lot of Broadway stuff for a lot of clients and, and we have some, some, some big national accounts that people that we take care of that, uh, for people that appreciate it. And like you said before, Hey, look, it, just like you, you don't want to take the last dollar out of someone's pocket cause they won't have another dollar to give you later. You know, consumers also, if you provide them the service, they do not mind you making a profit on them. There's another, another nugget of, of news flash for the day. People understand that any industry has to survive because guess what? If you don't make enough and can't keep the lights on or feed your children or pay your insurance, you won't be there the next time they need something. Then they're going to go have to buy something from, from Joe or Bobby Sue or Tim X online who they have no idea and might get scammed or, or, or get something that's not a, as fulfilling experience. So, uh, that's right. we, know, we know the, bad, we do that. We know the bad names, right? Cause they're still around. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's crazy. It's like, it's like a cockroach in a, in a nuclear war. They never go away. It's no. like they, they, they manage to, they manage to literally escape everything, which is mind blowing. Yeah. Well, Corey, I really appreciate you taking so much time to talk with me today. Oh, absolutely. It's been great. They've yeah. always, uh, always enjoy talking, spreading the, spreading the, 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 the customer centric base mentality and, uh, and, the gospel and taking of care tickets. of people, the gospel of the secondary ticket market. I like it. Well, hopefully you'll come back and do this again sometime. Let's do it, buddy. That sounds great. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest today, Corey Gibbs. As always, you can find me on my website at DaveWakeman.com. If you have any thoughts or suggestions, any questions you might want to ask me, feel free to email me, Dave at DaveWakeman.com. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at David Wakeman. If you like the podcast, I really hope that you can find the time to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or wherever these things you get these things and leave a review. It helps move me up into iTunes rankings and it does me a great deal of good. Until next time, thanks for being here. <laughs>